It's episode 276 of Crack the Customer Code, and Adam and Jeannie are about to regulate. So, Adam, you've heard of Undercover Boss, right? I have. Have you ever heard of Undercover Employee or Undercover Candidate? I actually have. Well, now you have. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Well, yeah, that's the whole point. (laughs) Yes, I have, and we are fortunate enough to have the undercover candidate, undercover employee, Nora Burns, here on the podcast. That's right. She has a pretty interesting strategy of how to get firsthand knowledge of how the hiring process and the employee process is handled within organizations, and it's all about going undercover. Yeah, she literally did. She uh, went undercover, and we'll let her tell the story. But w- what's interesting is the the lens, right? The di- mm-hmm. the difference, the different perspective she was able to gain from uh, doing the work this way. And I just want to say for our listeners, please know that we did verify this is Nora Burns we are talking to. So, <laughs> and you'll get that when you when you hear her talk. We it is her. It is mm-hmm. her. It is her real name. She speaks publicly on it, and that is confirmed. So, <laughs> that's right. So let me tell you about the real Nora Burns. <laughs> Nora Burns always listens to those stories people share about the hiring process and new employee experiences they've had. Seems most organizational leaders think their processes are solid, while most job candidates have horror stories about their experiences. What's really happening during the hiring and new employee experience process? That's what Nora Burns wanted to find out, and she invested in years in the discovery adventure. Nora is with us today to share some of her insights from 200 plus job interviews as the undercover candidate and 15 months working on the front lines of five Fortune 500 companies as the undercover employee. Hello, Nora. We're so happy you're here with us today. I'm delighted to be here. Thanks for having me. Nora, fantastic to have you. And we had such a great discussion about HR uh, when you and I and Jeannie met uh, back at Influence uh, earlier this year that we were like, we've got to get Nora on the podcast because you've got some wonderful insights. And I really like this one thing. I want to start off with this was how did you come up with the idea of spending more than a year being an undercover candidate? Right? Like, where does that come from? It sounds so cool. <laughs> no, this is how my brain works. Um, so I have been doing HR consulting and employee experience consulting for a long time. And I realized along the way that it had been almost a decade since I had personally been on the other side of that interview table. And I just kind of thought, hey, you should probably 360 this thing. You should probably get out there, take a different view, take a different perspective. And so it started innocently enough in that I intended to go on a handful of interviews down in Colorado Springs. I'm based in Denver, Colorado. And I thought Colorado Springs is just far enough away that if the HR director walks through, they likely won't recognize me, right, from speaking at local HR events and things. So I went on this handful of interviews and throughout the process, I just like was just horrified, like, oh my God, don't (laughs) ask that question. And oh, why are you treating your candidates like this? And for the love, why is there a child in my interview room? So (laughs) I, because of how my brain works after doing this, I thought I need, I need more data. I need to know if this is what's happening or if there was just like 
I don't know, was there just one really bad training on hiring at the Colorado Springs Chamber of Commerce? You know, I, I didn't know. <laughs> so I needed more data. And so I decided that my first goal was 100 interviews. I've now been on over 200 job interviews across the country, coast to coast, frontline job to director of operations, because I wanted to see what the overall trends were. So yeah, that it, it just grew from professional curiosity. I have to ask, what happens if you actually get the offer? Oh, right? No, I get this. Yeah. When, I, when, I, when I speak on the undercover candidate, people regularly are like, well, one of the big questions is always, what percentage of jobs were you offered? How many jobs were you offered? And my standard pat answer is way too many jobs than what my qualifications would suggest, right? Like I, I was offered jobs that you should never, ever offer me. And, and the thing is when people would offer me a job, the first time it happened, I was just, I, I like, I felt so um, guilty and I was like, oh my gosh, please tell me you didn't eliminate everybody else from your candidacy process. And so it took a long time for me to get past that and, and work through greater good. We're trying to get better data. And I did a I did a fairly decent job of communicating throughout processes that I was entertaining multiple offers, that I was interviewing at multiple companies to make sure employers knew that I was not a locked in deal, right? But right. but yes, I was offered a lot and I would beg off in one way or the other, right? Like Did you did you ever just like call back and be like Really? Am I am I really the best <laughs> right. quantum physicist you want to interview? Was it really me at the top of that list? There was not a, <laughs> right. There was not a single better accountant. Right? Really? I just somebody probably should have tested my math skills. I'm just saying. Um, yeah. So I'd beg off. I oh, I decided not to relocate. Oh, I was offered this other job that was much better. I also regularly tried to give them essentially feedback about the process. And I'd say, I decided on this other company because I just felt like I wasn't necessarily, people weren't really excited about my coming to your company. Or the the pay on a couple of them, I was like, I have to say something about what you're going to pay this person, right? Like <laughs> I was offered a job doing this exact same thing at another company for X percentage more or with these mm -hmm, benefits mm -hmm. more and trying to help them through the process to, to understand where they might have some gaps. But yeah, it was, it was a, a crazy process. So what, you know, you went through all these interviews, you've been collecting this data about how this process can be done better. What do you think are the main issues that you identified with how organizations get this hiring process oh, wrong? It's a, it's a, it's, there's, a, there's some really big ones. There's some really obvious ones. There's some low-hanging mm -hmm. fruit, if you will. So one of the big ones that's consistent across all the organizations were big time gaps. So you're searching for candidates in June. I submit my resume in June. I don't hear back from you until late July, right? There's a big gap mm. there. Or there's a big gap from the point at which you reached out to get more information until you invite me into your organization. And most of us are not going to be sitting without a job for months on end, right? If you're a top performer, those top performers are gone, 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 mm -hmm. right? So making sure that your process is streamlined so you can move. I, I'd rather have you 
hire slowly and fire quickly, of course, but I also needed to not be, there should not be a three to four month gap in hiring a position that's not a CEO, right? And I think there is a chorus of job seekers right now singing (laughs) Alleluia as you say this, because this is what I hear about all the time with what's so hard about, you know, getting through this process in the right way as a candidate is that you're left kind of in the yeah. wind so many times by well, and these not organizations. only in the timing between each of the stages, but also in a complete failure to follow up with candidates who have taken the time to interview with you. Not only have taken the time to customize mm-hmm. the resumes and send them in, but I feel very strongly, and I tell my clients this as well. This is something I feel adamant about in the hiring process. If a person has taken the time to speak with you. They have interviewed with you by phone, by video conference, or in person. You owe them a phone call. This is no longer I can send you an email that says we've chosen somebody else, right? Because it is part of the relationship building that happens both between your candidate and your future employee, but also most of these organizations are looking for customer relationships as well. And one of the classifications, one of the things that I evaluated was, do I want to be your customer now that I've been your candidate, right? Do you, have Mm -hmm. you not only lost me as potential talent, but you've also lost me as a consumer because of how I was treated through the process. And that- Absolutely. And and that showed up. I mean, I had one job that I was one of two final candidates. And they told me that it's between you and this other person. We did our final interview. Well, you'll hear from us by the end of the week. Not only did I not hear from them by by the end of the week, I never heard from them again. Now, that is not an organization that I would want to buy from. So that's interesting. Yeah, to me, that's like so obvious, right? Especially that you're the last two candidates. You know, you're the last, all that. I mean, that's just common courtesy. And, uh, you know, there's the other extreme where you get 500 responses on Monster and you just simply can't reply, right? You, so you're, you're talking about the people that you actually spent some time with that have invested some energy. So let me ask you, at the, back at the lower level, though, so the, the, the first round of interviews, the, the people, are you finding that sometimes their uh, companies aren't picking up the call for legal reasons? In other words, they just don't, they want to have the scripted answer. They don't want to expose themselves. It's just the easiest, simplest, cleanest thing to do. Is that ever one of the impediments or is it more the I think there might be some people that are afraid that I'm going to say, oh, so why did you choose somebody else? And and they're going to feel awkward because we as humans don't like to give constructive feedback as a whole. But I think think it's that we get lost in the process. There are so many candidates coming in, but if but if I really feel very strongly that if you if somebody's taken the time to call to be on a call, to be on a Skype, to be in person, it's a different relationship. Um, so I don't know because I I wasn't in a position to call and say, so why didn't you call me and tell me that I wasn't on? <laughs> that would have felt that would have felt weird. <laughs> and they would have smart. They wouldn't answer you anyway. So. <laughs> right. Right. Well, well you know, I think. Oh, go ahead, Jenny. Sorry, I was just going to say, I think to your point about, you know, even if you don't offer the candidate a position, you're leaving an impression that goes beyond just that first interaction. And in in my history, we were hiring for one position and we had two great candidates. We, for whatever reason, I can't even remember why, we selected one over the other. 
they were great. And then mm-hmm. a few months later, we needed somebody else. And I was able to call the candidate that was number two and say, we'd really like you to come in again and talk to us about yeah. this. And she was thrilled. She was so excited. And then she ended up working with us for years. And so I think part of that was that we really did care mm-hmm. for her in the rejection, yeah. which sounds so weird, but it's, you know, there was something to that that really was good for everybody involved because then we didn't have to go search yeah. for 8,000 people again. We we knew we had somebody who might be great for this. So I think it's interesting because sometimes organizations shoot themselves in the foot with this without thinking long-term. They're only thinking about that one slot to fill. And yeah. then they're in the same position six months later because all the candidates that they and treated poorly interested. are no and longer candidates. Maybe that candidate wasn't the right yeah. fit for that job. But now you've got a job that they are the right fit for. Mm-hmm. But if you treated them poorly, they're not interested. It just there's you're you're taking so many people right. out of the talent pool by treating people badly. And not only are you taking them out, you're taking their ten closest friends and their ten closest family members and their mm-hmm. Uber driver, right? Like you're taking everybody that they talk to right. about this right. experience. <laughs> you are pulling away, and you're making a negative impression. And and your employment brand is is your bread and butter when it comes to recruiting and retention. And if you're destroying that little by little, nick by nick, you're going to be in a world of hurt, a world of hurt down the line. Mm-hmm. Right. And they yes. even have a, a, a basically a Yelp for that glass door, right? Right. Yeah. Where people... Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I mean, uh, it's it's about as uh, the quality is about as good as Yelp as far as the reviews, but but it, but it can matter. I mean, when you you know when you go see two two people upset, it's the same as like a Yelp. You're like, okay, whatever, right? Uh, but, but when but when you go and you see a, a company that's got a really bad rating and they've got like seventy, mm-hmm. you know people that really that's a huge thing mm-hmm. uh, so but I want to you you had mentioned uh, you know your position mm-hmm. as an undercover. But you have not only gone undercover as a candidate, you have yeah. gone undercover as an employee. No. <laughs> did you ever consider being a spy is my real question. It's, um, <laughs> no, this whole thing, if you would have asked me, you know, 10 years ago, like where my, my consulting practice was going to go, I it never would have gone into this undercover space. It really happened very organically. So once I started speaking with audiences in both corporations and associations about my experience as the undercover candidate, people would say, did you take any of the jobs? And I'm like, well, well, no, because while I'm willing to do a lot for HR research, a felony is not one of those things. <laughs> and all of those, all of those applications were done with fake names and fake resumes and fake addresses. They were fictional characters that I created. So I had a cast of characters for each level of position that I was interviewing for, but none of them had the name Nora Burns. Um, although, as an aside, twice as the undercover candidate in my first 10 interviews, before I realized I needed to tap into all of my theater from high school and college, I'm a horrible liar. And twice I introduced myself as Nora at an interview. Oh, oh that wasn't the name on the res- resume, yeah. huh? Not, not the name on the resume. None of those. And a friend of mine said, you should have had Eleanor on them. And then you, I'm like, I didn't say I was the smartest person in the room. Uh, yeah, no, no, no spy work for you. The, the, that, yeah, yeah. You, you don't get those mistakes in the field. <laughs> here's the interesting. Here's the really interesting thing about that, though. Both of those jobs 
I was offered. Oh, funny. I introduced myself by the wrong name. And we are so not paying attention. Um, and especially in that first introductory kind of a thing, we're thinking about their <laughs> resume, we're thinking about the application. Did I have a room reserved? Did I have to be fully present and engaged from the moment we greet our candidate? Um, and one of them was to process payroll. So that's a problem. But um, as I started talking about, did I ever take the jobs? I said, well, no, because these were all fake names, fake resumes. But it made me think, like, what if? What would happen? And as much as I tell hiring managers, do not Google your candidates. Do not Google the name of your job candidates because you're going to find out that they're gay or they're active in this political party or that they have MS or, and there's stuff you cannot unlearn. Do not take yourself down that treacherous path. As much as I tell people not to do that, I know that they do. And I thought they're going to Google me and find out I'm a hiring expert and it's not going to make any sense that I'm applying to be a cashier. So, but I thought, well, let's see what happens. So I applied to a, a local branch of a Fortune 500 company. And, and uh, I went out and I drove for Lyft and Uber before I did this because I needed real fake experience. Because <laughs> I couldn't go in and apply and be like, yes, I've been an HR consultant and professional speaker for the last 15 years. <laughs> um, that wasn't going to work. So I needed something. So I went and drove for Lyft and Uber. I've got so many stories there as well. And then I had that as my application was that I've been a Lyft and Uber driver and and nobody questioned that there was a gap before that type of a thing. And I went and I interviewed and in the midst of the interview, I mm -hmm. thought, oh, this isn't going any further because they were pushing me on scheduling. And I said, I can't commit to a standard schedule. I can tell you my schedule availability, you know, a minimum of, I can, I can tell you like four weeks in advance and I can give you a minimum of 20 hours to choose from but I cannot commit to the same schedule because I was still doing speaking engagements and consulting. And they finally pushed enough and said, well, why can't you do this? And I said, well, I've got this other job. And they're like, what other job? I'm like, well, I do some speaking on HR issues. Eh, just a little dabbling here and there, you know, on harassment <laughs> prevention and building a culture of respect. But they were already so convinced that I was their candidate that as long as I had some explanation they didn't care what it was. And in their brain, they told some story that made sense that somebody who does speaking on harassment prevention would also work for 10 cents over minimum wage. And they offered me the job. Ugh. And I came home and I called uh, my best friend and I said, so I guess I'm doing this. Wow. <laughs> And then I sat down and came up with a project plan for what did that need to look like? What was my commitment level? How many jobs did I need to have to get good data? What types of jobs? And I came up with a plan that I would work for a minimum of a year at a minimum of three different employers. And all of them would be Fortune you know, 500, probably Fortune 250 organizations that would not have the same impact on my coming and going as a smaller company would. Um, I also decided that I would never be the first one out of my new higher orientation class to leave. Um, so if when I was hired, somebody, if somebody who was hired <laughs> after me had to leave first for me to be feel like, okay, I'm not coming and going and interrupting their workflow in a, in an inconsistent way. So, yeah.
Exactly. You're not going, you're not leaving at a rate uh, more than the natural rate. (laughs) And I ended up working at five different Fortune 500 companies over the course of 15 months. Um, The longest one was for 41 weeks. It was the very first job I took. I stayed there for 41 weeks because interesting things kept happening. (laughs) And I'd be ready to give, in one case, I was literally walking to the manager with (laughs) with my resignation note when another employee came up and said, hey, did you hear da-da-da-da-da? And I was like, <laughs> I need to see how they handle that. <laughs> like, <laughs> I can't leave. So, yeah, so that was the long time. Oh, I, I had one particular job. It was 41 weeks. Wow. So from all your undercover work <laughs> as a uh, candidate and employee, what, what, let's, uh, let's wrap up with some takeaways here. So you know, what can someone, anyone do to improve the hiring process at their own organization? And how can we hire best mm-hmm. to deliver to our customers? Because, you know, Jeannie and I, this is Crack the Customer Code, talk about customer experience. And everything you're talking about is yes. preamble to the people that are going to serve customers or manage the operations that impact customers. So if you could wrap it all in a nice, pretty bow, that'd just be wonderful. Thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> My, right. So I have, I'm like... You know, a lot of things that people can do differently. Of course, we talked about the time gap and the follow-up. There's also the reference checks, the complete and utter lack of verifying that people are who they say they are is horrifying to me when they're going to be the yes. face of our business, um, especially in organizations where they're handling people's credit cards, they're hand, they have access to people's room keys, you know, all of those types of medical records types of things than those industries that I primarily work. But the big thing, if I could... If I could get all of your listeners to just do one thing and get one different frame of reference, I really want them to understand that there are no just a jobs. Mm. We, I was shocked and amazed by the number of employees who define themselves as just a. Because sitting in the break room, I'd say, oh, so what do you do here? Right? And so I'm new. What, what's your job? And they'd be like, oh, I'm just a. It was consistent. I'm just a cashier. I'm just a warehouse supervisor. I'm just a clerk. I'm just a bartender. I'm just a, I'm just, I heard I'm just a up to the point mm. of general manager. I'm just a, and what I, this is how it impacts the customer because important people talk to important people. And so if I'm a just a, and you're talking to me, you must not be important. And now you are just a customer. And that has a ripple effect on how our cultures build, both in how our teams work, as well as how we do in terms of delivering superior customer service. Mm-hmm. And we have built that. Nobody comes into a job and they're, they're so excited. They've worked so hard to get a job. They've gotten the job. They're telling their friends, I'm going to go work at whatever the company is. They're so excited. They come in with infinite possibilities. Anything could happen, right? It doesn't matter if you're hiring me to be the CEO or to sweep the floors. At that time, when I am new employee, there are infinite possibilities for me. But then at new hire orientation, you don't have a shirt for me. You don't have a name badge for me. You didn't know that I was coming and you hand me my, my uh, login on a scrap of paper that you've just torn off the edge of a notebook. And we send all of these meta messages to people that they're not important until they're self-defining 
as I'm just a customer service rep. Wow. Well, you were not just a guest. I will say ah, that. Nice. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's a, it's a great point though. And I think it's something that we can all work on is really helping every single person within an organization feel important because they all are. Every single individual is important to that customer experience and to delivering to real people. Um, and that's what this is all about. So this was fantastic, Nora. Thank you so much for being here. And I am wondering, you know, if people want to reach out to you or connect with you, what are some of the best ways for them to do that? Well, if you're trying to find me, it's hard not to. You can <laughs> find me on uh, LinkedIn. You can find me on Twitter at, at Nora Burns. You can find me on Facebook. HR Undercover has a business page on Facebook. And you can find me, of course, at our website, which is hr-undercover.com. And that's how you find me. Excellent. Well, we will make sure all of that is all of that information is in the show notes as well. So if anybody would like to reach out to you, they certainly can. But not if you're undercover, then they won't know how to find you. Yeah. Quit, <laughs> quit hiding. <laughs> now, now most of our mystery shops are done by other members of our team because it's hard to get away with it once you've spoken at a large conference. And um, I have red and red and blonde striped hair, and I wear large purple glasses now, so it is tough for me to blend into a crowd. But there you go. Thanks so much, Laura. This was fantastic. Have a great day. Thank you for having me. It was delightful to talk with you. Wow. Well, I don't think it's any big surprise that these processes could use some help in most organizations, that they don't think through the entire process for every candidate. Wouldn't you agree? Uh, yeah, I think that's safe to say. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you know, what, you know what we did today, Jeannie? What did we do? We pulled the mask off of HR. Wow. Uh, keep going. What else do we do? That's all I got. <laughs> that's, all, that's it. You get one insight. Get one pun. You get one insightful pun per episode. That is it. That is my limit. Not, <laughs> other, other than that, talk to my union rep. <laughs> yeah, it, I mean, it's fascinating to hear how she did it and what she learned. And you know, my I've shared before. My husband is a recruiter, and he's also been in situations where because he does actually do background checks. He's found people have been lying for years and nobody looks it up like they don't look up that they never worked where they said they did or they they aren't exactly who they say they are. So I thought that observation, we, we talked about it very briefly, but I've seen that as well, that a lot of people just don't do the work of checking out like, is this person who we think they are? Well, you know, and from the industry I came from, we had to be so careful. We had to be mm-hmm. so thorough. And we, we would find those like, how did this person yeah. get the job they had before this one? Like, because mm-hmm. <laughs> everything before that job, like, whoa. Right, right. <laughs> you know, yeah, it could get really interesting. You know, and I've, I think I've gotten a little inspiration here. We should do an entire episode on like hiring horror stories. Oh my gosh, wouldn't that be fun? I've got because we all have them. Oh, oh gosh, (laughs) from both sides of the desk, right? Like from from both being a candidate as well as being the hiring person. Oh, that's true. Yes, both perspectives. That's right. All right. Well, cool. Well, this was a really good episode. And you know, if you're looking at improving your hiring, uh, definitely check out Nora. She uh, um, check out her stuff. She's got some really good insights on uh, that are from a different perspective. There that are from seeing it as the candidate and seeing it as the employee. And I think having that lens uh, does actually yield some unique uh, takeaways. Totally. Totally. So. 
We hope you go off and uh, do your own things as the real you that you are. You don't have to be undercover with us. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for listening to Crack the Customer Code. We are a proud member of the C-Suite Radio family. If you like C-Suite Radio, and we know you do, then check out C-Suite TV and watch in-depth interviews with business content for C-Suite leaders and entrepreneurs. It's all on demand at csuitetv.com. We do truly appreciate you spending your valuable time with us. I'm Jeannie Walters, and you can learn more about me and our customer experience investigation consulting at 360connects.com. And I'm the real Adam DePork, and you can learn more about me and our customer service workshops and training at customersetstick.com. Until next time, take care of yourself. And take care of your customers. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.